0: Welcome to the Sci-Fi Reading Series Podcast. I'm science fiction author Kate Sheeran-Swed, and every week I read two chapters from one of my books. This is season one, and I'm reading from Chaos Zone, the first book in the Parse Galaxy space opera series. Make sure to scroll on back to the first episode in the season if you need to get caught up. Stick around after the chapters for exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary. Let's get on with this week's episode. Chapter 9. It wasn't that Sloane had expected an illegal bounty to be hiding out in a pleasant spot. She couldn't have hoped to pick them up at a Lux station in the bone system. There were no Lux stations in the bone system that she knew of, or a penthouse apartment. Still, she thought it was fair to wish for a bit less mud. Cal Cornum was the second rock from Aju, the system star, though Sloane thought the word rock might be giving the planet a bit too much credit. Every step left her ankle deep in mud, and as thankful as she was for her knee-high boots, she suspected the muck would soak through them soon enough. Worse than that, the place smelled like a garbage heap full of rotten fruit, with a generous dose of sulfur added in for good measure. The air was thick and muggy, and the foul smells curdled on the back of her tongue with every breath she took. She'd brought both Alex and Hilda along for this particular adventure, leaving Brighton in Brose care which didn't seem like the best idea, but there wasn't much she could do about it. She needed people on the ground with her, especially for a job like this one. Alex and Hilda were both muttering under their breaths as they followed her through the jungle. She couldn't really blame them for that. "'Don't worry,' Sloane said. "'I'm going to raise both your salaries.' As soon as she could pay them anything, she would. "'Save my cut for Vincent's rescue fund,' Hilda said. "'He can pay me back later.' With interest, Sloan assumed. Calcornum was never terraformed, Bro informed her as she struggled her way through the jungle. She'd fitted a button-sized bud butt into her ear so the A.I. could advise her, though so far it had only offered tour guide-level facts about the place. It was always like this. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, fabulous, Sloan said. Do you have a dial-back feature on the exclamation points? No! The bounty posting Bro had lifted from the Fox Clan databases was very particular about locating the target on Calcornum, even providing approximate coordinates. Sloan had to admit she hadn't seen all that many bounties in the short life of her career so far, but the ones she had seen never specified a location, hence the need for a hunter to do the work. But this was an illegal bounty and a whole different game. Besides, she could understand why someone with tokens to spare might hire out a job like this instead of enduring a festering boil of a planet like Calcornum. Even the trees looked sick, each of them littered with human-sized leaves that dragged their branches toward the ground. More like pods than leaves, actually, some of them dripping a pus-like substance into the mud. Why would this guy come here with a load of stolen data chips? Sloan asked. It seems like the humidity would damage the tech. Maybe he stashed them out somewhere else and he's just hiding out here. Hilda stepped around a fallen chunk of one of the leaf pods, carefully avoiding the puddle of pus that pooled all around it. Bro, can you see if there are any communication signals leaving the planet from this area? Sloan asked. Maybe he's going to meet with a buyer. What else would he do with all those data chips? There had to be thousands of potential buyers in the galaxy, people who would pass the chips through criminal networks or change up their coding so they looked legitimate. She'd get into that game herself if she could figure out how. No communication signals, Bro said. Wait, there is one. It's right near where you're... Oh, that is you. Apologies. Hilda sighed. Sloan pushed a pair of leaf pods aside, struggling past the tree and into a clearing that was carpeted in a thick layer of sickly green moss. A ring of tall grasses encircled the clearing, as if it meant to spring a trap. Ahead, the jungle thickened again and led up a steep hill. She squinted, using her sleeve to wipe stinging sweat out of her eyes. At the top of the hill, she could make out a black-sided tower looming ominously over the jungle. It ended in a jagged spire, though, the stone crumbling away. Is that a tower? Yes, Brose said, those are the Calcornum ruins. No one knows what was here when it was built, but the stone has been dated back a thousand years. Isn't that amazing? On another day, the almost art history major in Sloan might have wanted to dig into the jungle or rocket up the hill to check out the ruins. Maybe there'd been a city here, some ancient hub of civilization. Maybe it had been here long before they'd been able to connect with the rest of the galaxy or even the system. Maybe long before the bone system had fallen under the rule of tyranny. On another day, she'd have her flip tab out, and she'd be asking Bro to tell her everything it could find. Today, she just wanted to collect this guy, his name was Jackson Bellow, according to the posting, and get the hell off this planet. "'Yeah,' Sloan said, "'so I bet he's there. Good vantage point. Is there any chance you can get a read on those chips?' "'Yes,' Bro said, "'there are enabled data chips in the ruins. Hundreds of them!' Hilda grunted. "'The guy didn't even disable the chips? Sloan, either he's a complete amateur or this is some kind of a trap.' If it was a trap, it was too late. They were already here. Jackson Bellow was a turncoat factory employee with no criminal record. She could imagine a person like that being inept at criminal undertakings or getting caught in a blackmail situation. Not that she planned to play the hero here. Let's hope it's the first, Sloane said. Come on, this is going to be easy. Something struck her hard in the back, and she fell face forward into the mud. If it had smelled bad before, it was absolutely rancid as it oozed up her nostrils. She twisted, flailing for her pistol, but her hands were slippery, and the gun went flying. Move! Hilda shouted, and Sloane scrambled through the mud as something large and squelchy thundered behind her. She stumbled to her feet, nearly losing her footing again as she risked a glance back over her shoulder. The thing that had hit her in the back looked like a huge, slimy log that suddenly decided to go for a stroll. A slimy log with slimy wings that it now extended as it staggered around like a colt testing its legs. At its feet, or the base of the log since she didn't see any feet, one of the heavy leaves from the tree had cracked open. The leaves weren't leaves, and they weren't pods either. They were cocoons, and one of them had birthed this thing, whatever it was. To either side, its brothers writhed in their cocoons, ready to break free. The first monster sprang into the tree and started rustling around, dragging its drenched wings through the actual foliage, drying them, scratching an itch. Sloane didn't realize she'd stopped moving to gape until Alex's fingers closed around her arm to drag her across the rest of the clearing and into the jungle ahead. It was hard to say what good that would do, but the monster was still cracking those curdled wings against the tree, so it was as good a plan as any. Leaving her pistol in the mud, Sloane fled after Alex, who'd picked up a stick at some point—it looked like a cousin to the cocoon monster—and looked ready to impale it if she had to. Only Sloane wasn't convinced any stick would break that thing's carapace. "'Bro,' Sloane said, breathing hard as she started up the jungle-enclosed incline toward the ruins— "'What are those things?' "'No idea,' Bro answered cheerfully. "'Alex?' "'By all means, let's stop to perform a full analysis "'after I remind you that I'm not a biologist. "'I'm an astrophysicist.' "'A branch struck Sloan across the forehead, "'and she lost her footing, landing on her ass in the mud. "'She kicked uselessly as the slop soaked into her pants "'until Hilda wheeled back to offer her a hand. "'By now, though, the slime monster had crossed the clearing "'in two pumps of its massive wings.' It followed them straight into the trees, its log face gaping. It was still dripping with cocoon pus. I think we smell like something it wants to eat, Sloane said. Hilda had managed to keep a hold on her gun, a hand cannon that Sloane hadn't seen before. The pilot must have picked it up on shard, and she raised it now, bracing the heels of her hands against the handle as she shot around into what she guessed was the creature's stomach. The slime monster wheeled back, wings flailing, as the smoke churned out of its middle. It let out a horrific screech, and Sloane didn't stop to see if it was dead or if its friends had gotten the message. She followed Hilda up a short rise to where a set of crumbling stone steps switchbacked up to the top of the hill. When they reached the ruins, they dove inside. Alex on their heels. If only there were a door to close or a moat to hide behind. There wasn't, but it didn't matter. The creatures hadn't followed, maybe the hand cannon had scared them off. Or maybe their wings needed to dry more, good luck in this place, before they could fly higher. Flying slime monsters, not a pretty thought. Whatever the reason, the screeches died away, and Sloane stood with her back against the black wall of the broken tower, desperately attempting to draw air into her lungs. When she peered out of the stone-bordered archway, she could see the jungle canopy in crisp detail, "'except for a lace of mist that drifted by in the distance. "'A pair of birds took off from a tree near the clearing, chittering, "'but there was no sign of any slime monsters "'even when Sloane enhanced the focus on her ice cream. "'Thank you for making me a part of this,' Alex said. "'She was half-crouched next to Sloane, head dropped between her knees. "'A shadow flinched in Sloane's peripheral vision, "'and she reached for her pistol before she'd realized she'd dropped it in the mud.' Hilda had it covered, though. She withdrew the hand cannon and pointed it toward the man who'd emerged from deep within the ruined building. He was thin and bald, with pale skin and puffy lips that were surprisingly large for his smallish face. "'Oh,' he said, "'what took you so long?' "'That's him,' bro said in Sloane's ear. "'Jackson Bellow, your bounty!' Sloane frowned at the man. "'What do you mean?' "'Where's your ship?' Bellow stuck his hands on his hips as he spoke in a tone that was tinged with annoyance, articulating his words with a note of condescension that made her want to punch him. "'You were supposed to extract me. That would require a ship.' Sloane stared at him, as though his face might provide some explanation. Usually bounties went running the other way. They didn't rebuke you for lack of planning. "'What kind of mushrooms have you been licking in this jungle?' she asked. "'What? Oh.' The man scratched his head, "'You're not in on it.' "'Huh.' "'In on what?' "'Sloan.' Hilda spoke from the arch, and Sloane turned to follow the pilot's gaze out over the jungle. In the clearing they'd just been chased out of, a quartet of fleet soldiers stomped their way through the mud toward the hill. Much more easily, she noticed, than she had. Not one of them sank as far as their ankles. Not fair.' When she zoomed her eyescreen view in close, she could see the soldiers had traded their pretty midnight blue uniforms for light armor. She could also see that Commander Fortune was with them, because of course he was. And in the tree those squawking birds had just abandoned, she could see the barest glint of a hand cannon barrel peeking out of the trees and aiming straight for the fleet soldiers. Hilda had been right. The bounty was definitely a trap, only it hadn't been set for Sloane. Chapter 10. Gareth doubted there were many men who would say Calcornum was a pleasant place for a ground operation. It was muddy and humid, with mosquitoes in the air, and a rotting odor that he suspected would take days to get out of his nostrils. In truth, though, he'd seen worse. The light armor kept him relatively cool, and it made trudging through the muck a slightly easier task. Heavy armor would have taken him down to his knees, and he doubted he'd need that much firepower today. Leaving Logger in charge of Sabre, Gareth had recruited four officers to help him secure Osmond Clay's rogue employee. He didn't like sending soldiers to ground for an operation he himself hesitated to accept at all, so it felt right to join them. An itch between his shoulder blades told him there was more to this job than Clay had admitted. Gareth shouldn't have taken it, but the allure of a meeting with the Federation was too great to ignore. And the fleet needed those data chips, rather desperately. As the thought crossed his mind, something pattered through the canopy above him, flicking the leaves a touch too hard for seeds or raindrops. Under fire, one of the soldiers shouted. A light flashed up in the canopy, accompanied by a loud boom that could only come from one type of weapon— "'And then someone slammed into him from the right, "'knocking him onto his side "'and sending him sliding through the mud "'and into a patch of long grass. "'Shots rang out in the jungle "'as his soldiers returned the fire "'that rained down through the trees at them. "'How many hand cannons were up there? "'Gareth tried to get up, "'but his attacker pushed him back down.' He could have shaken her off with one hand, but some instinct made him refrain. She didn't pull a gun or a knife, instead she dropped the mud beside him, keeping one hand on his back as if to prevent him from rising. "'Why are you wearing this bullshit armor, Fortune?' she said. "'That suit couldn't stop a sewing needle.'" Gareth blinked the mud out of his eyes. Sloan tarnish. She was covered in dirt, but she was unmistakable with that long, chestnut hair— most bounty hunters kept their locks short or braided them into coils. Not Sloan. She'd just tied it back at the nape of her neck, inviting any villain to seize it. She was either exceedingly confident or very, very green. Given her recent appearance on the scene, he was inclined to think she was both. But what the hell was she doing here? You're not wearing any armor, he said. She waved him away like he was a mere annoyance and not the commander of the entire galactic fleet. "'I'm not exactly flush with tokens. Stay down, Fortune. "'The bounty I came for is expecting me to drive his getaway ship, "'and he was definitely expecting you. "'This was a setup. Your soldiers know how to take cover, "'so you need to do it too.' "'She was right. He'd been ready to get up to find his people, "'but they were well-trained. Better than he was, perhaps. "'They'd taken cover in the trees, "'hiding behind those massive teardrop-shaped leaves, "'and were trading shots with the snipers in the canopy ahead.' Clay had set him up then. Of course he had. But why? It was a bold move, and it felt like a clumsy one. If they pinned an assassination attempt on him, he'd be ousted from the commission. His entire system would be subject to a raid. The man could lose everything. I'll ping my ship, Gareth said. Sloan touched his wrist. And if that's what they're hoping for, he's got the high ground up there. He might have hand cannons ready. Hand cannons can't take down a fleet frigate. And a fleet frigate can't blow up the whole jungle without taking you out with it. The situation calls for a little finesse, Fortune. Because she was the poster girl for finesse? Gareth sighed, "'All right. What do you propose?' She stared into the tree line. It wasn't far. If he could stand without fear of getting shot, he'd be there in five steps. "'Did that bullshit armor come with a knife?' she asked. "'If it did, should I hand it over to a random bounty hunter?' "'Sloan held out a hand, palm up. "'If she just saved your life, then yes, you should.' "'Gareth contemplated her for a moment. "'She was covered in grime, but that spark in her eyes said she had a plan. "'Sloan Tarnish might have shown herself to be deceitful and often mercenary, "'but he didn't think she was the kind of woman who'd save his life just to murder him. "'If anything, she'd risked her own life by crashing down here "'when she could have simply collected her bounty and left.' Gareth loosened a blade from his hip and handed it to her. "'Am I going to regret this?' "'Probably,' Sloane grinned. "'Was the tam woman enjoying this?' and started to crawl, dragging her body through the mud and leaving an indented trail that immediately filled with dirty water. "'Come on, Fortune, we're gonna have to run.' She had that same gleam in her eyes that had been back there when she'd handed him that glass of champagne back on Shard. Gareth didn't see any gravity anchors or hovetrain channels here, but if Sloan knew something he didn't, he'd just have to trust her. A frightening thought. Sloan crawled straight to the tree line. His soldiers were still on the other side of the clearing, at his back, but Gareth didn't want to reveal his location by pinging them through the comms. Sloan's side of the clearing was dripping with just as many of those enormous leaves, and he had trouble believing they made good cover for his soldiers. He hoped no one had been hurt. When Sloane reached the tree line ahead, she turned and pressed a finger to her lips. And then she leapt to her feet, knife at the ready. She plunged it into the nearest hanging pod and dragged it along the thing's yellow-green wall. Limbs tumbled out of the pod with a gush soaking her head in a layer of thick fluid. There were animals in there, or some kind of giant insect, but Sloane kept running, piercing one leaf after another to spill the fleshy contents onto the jungle floor. "'Run, Fortune!' she shouted, still slashing, "'up to the ruins! "'I don't see what—' "'At the end of the row, the first pod animal—he didn't know what they were or what to call them—rose on shaky legs, extending a pair of wings that doubled the span of his own arms. With a screech, it leapt into the canopy to crash among the branches. Abruptly, the shooting stopped, replaced by the terrified screams of the sniper who'd been targeting them from the tree.' Gareth didn't know if these creatures would attack the snipers, but they could certainly scare them away. Gareth paused at the tree line to open his calm, signaling his soldiers to make their way toward the clearing. Sloan grabbed his wrist and hauled him toward the cut-up section of mud that told him she'd come this way before. You need to work on your self-preservation instincts, she said. Those things will dry their wings and drop back down and then they'll come for us. Come on. Gareth didn't know how she could possibly know that, but there was no denying her knack for acquiring obscure information. He wasn't foolish enough to disregard her warning. With his soldiers on their heels, each of them scanning the tree for hidden assailants, he let her drag him up the hill to a set of crumbling steps. "'Can I tell my ship to extract us now?' he asked. "'Of course not.' She darted under the black stone entrance to the ruins, her fingers locked tightly around his wrist. "'I've still got a bounty to catch.' thank you so much for listening today um the only real news that i have before jumping into the commentary is just a reminder to uh, drop down to the show notes and go check out the kickstarter campaign Um, It's not launching until June, but if you follow it, you'll get some updates and I am actually going to have a cover reveal coming really soon for the special edition, so keep an eye out for some extra videos. I don't usually do cover reveals, but this is really special. It looks amazing and I am waiting for my proof to come in so that I can show it to everyone and I just want to like explode, I'm so excited. Um, so for the commentary today, um, I talked about banter last time, so I'll just kind of say here that this fun was really, this scene was really fun to write, and um, it was fun to read through again. And, you know, as much as I love Sloane's banter with her crew and with Bro, and there's a lot of that in here, um, her relationship with Gareth also really amuses me, because um, the people in my head amuse me. <laughs> and it is fun to write, because they are very, very different people, and, you um, he also has this grudging respect for her all the way from the beginning, more than she has for him, absolutely. Um, And so that's kind of fun to go back and see, you know, um, as their friendship develops. Um, One of the things that I love to write in my stories, too, is a lot of different worlds. So some of the books um, skip around to different ones. So you have that kind of broken down shard of the planet at the very beginning and the casino on it. And then you have um, this jungle and then there are a few other locations where they end up later. And um, some of the books will focus on on several or some of them will focus on just just kind of one, or they'll start one place and then the, the meat of the story is in one really difficult or interesting place. Um, but for some reason, I love to write mud. I love to write water. I don't know why, but I do. I guess it's, maybe it's because it adds a lot of conflict for the characters. It's hard for them to get through it. It's kind of gross. You can kind of picture yourself there. Uh, I did a reading of this scene once and um, <laughs> with the with the pods and everyone was so grossed out. <laughs> so, I mean, I did a live reading, obviously. I just read it here, but... Um, Anyway, even in the League of Independent Operative books, um, even though those books are set on Earth, I still send those characters around to like Boston and Niagara Falls and Malibu and Berlin. And it's a lot of fun to kind of investigate those real world places with a speculative lens. It's very different um, going from that side of things. Um, but I love to make them up too. And I love making up weird monsters. And I have a note right here that I need to give my son credit um, because he asked me one day when he was really little, maybe four, four and a half, I was maybe starting to plan this book. um, What would it be like if there was a human sized bug in a cocoon like that? So I definitely um, owe him for that idea. Um, So that's where, if you're ever wondering, where do authors get their ideas? That's, that's one place. (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry, I, I pay him in bubblegum and, um, and p- lollipops. <laughs> um, so anyway, that, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week.